want you to think back to primary school, all those years ago when your ears hadn't yet heard the sound of Vivaldi's Four Seasons or Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, and you didn't even know what a piano or a violin sounded like. Then one day, you were walking past the ensemble that only the big kids played in, or you heard a performance by an ensemble that visited your school, and naturally, everything changed for you. Was it the violin, the clarinet, or the trumpet that caught your attention? Perhaps at that moment you felt an inherent pull towards music. You were overcome with a feeling of, I have to do music. But is it really that straightforward? My name is Maddie Hammond. I'm a Perth-based composer, trumpet player, music educator, and above all, music enthusiast. I've had the pleasure of attending the Australian Youth Orchestra's National Music Camp for 2023 as a participant in the Words About Music course. On the question of privilege, I had the pleasure of speaking with a number of National Music Camp participants to learn more about their trajectory and how they got to where they are now. I wanted to better understand how visibility played a role for them, how important their teachers were in their success, and what curveballs were thrown at them. To explore these questions, I spoke to Lauren McCormick and Zinnia Chan as part of the Young Composer cohort. I'm an emerging composer based in uh, Adelaide and I'm currently completing my Masters in Music Composition, focusing on writing new music which engages children and young people with uh, the contemporary classical discipline. That's not all I do, but that's a big focus at the moment. Yeah, so writing new pedagogical works and new stage works as well. There's a famous quote that covers all facets of society, but I think directly applies to music. It's, you can't be what you can't see. How applicable was this to you as a musician and is still applicable? That was really, really applicable to me. I, on the one hand, have been very lucky in the sense that the arts and music in particular is very valued within my family. But none of us were classical musicians. None of us really are until now classical musicians. So the music that I grew up seeing and appreciating was very different to to the music that I create now. And I was really not aware that composers still existed really until I was well into, you know, high school being a teenager. Of course, in school music lessons, we would talk about Mozart and Beethoven, but they always felt very detached from me as people. We didn't talk about them as people, firstly. They were, you know, like the composing gods and they're all magical and they can create all this beautiful music. But of course, we never really talked about contemporary composers first and never any female composers either. So it wasn't until I think I was 15. And again, this is just the way the cookie crumbled. I was very lucky in the sense that my uncle is a composer in London and he I didn't really know much about you know his job and what he did because when you're a kid you're not really interested in what the adults around you are doing yeah. you don't care about their jobs you yeah. have much more <laughs> important things to worry about right but um he invited me to a workshop that he was running with the Adelaide Symphony which was about you know composing new music and just giving things a go and that completely blew my mind I was like this is an option 
I didn't know that that was an option. So very quickly, I was like, this is something that I find really fulfilling. I find it really interesting. I want to learn as much about it as I can. So that was kind of my first introduction to it. And like eight months later, I sat my interview to, uh, for the con. Wow. So it was a really quick process. Wow. It was so that really, was a really huge quick. turning point for you. Then. It was. How important do you think visibility was and is for you? Very important. <laughs> yeah, very important because if I hadn't had that experience, there were so many factors that came into, you know, just me being there in that workshop, you know, if he hadn't come over for dinner the night before, if I'd had an exam that day, there are so many things that could have gone differently. But the visibility aspect and being able to see someone and talk to someone who creates music for a living, where that's something that you can do, both financially and just conceptually, was really, really important. So yeah, if I didn't have that, God, I don't know where I'd be. Is it important to you? And do you think it was important for you getting into music, having someone that you could resonate with? Yes. And I didn't always have that. Mm. Now, the more I've grown into being a composer and working as a composer, I'm finding that more and more important because in my early years, it was very much about learning and testing the waters and seeing if this is something that I am actually capable of doing. When it comes to, you know, resonating with people, composition is such an isolating activity. You do it by yourself. You know, you're not in a rehearsal room rehearsing with everyone else. There's no composition, you know, workshops. It's, it's, it's a very solitary activity. So it takes time, I think, and it has taken time for me to find people who I resonate with, even if it's just to commiserate a little yeah. bit. But in terms of people to, to look up to, if that's the kind of resonance that you mm. also mean. Yeah. yeah, I'm still, you know, searching for a lot of those people. Very, I was very lucky in my undergraduate years to have Anne Kors as one of my A great role model, yes. <laughs> yeah, very much so, because she was the only female person on the composition staff as well. So for a lot of, for the majority of my undergrad, I was the only girl and Again, in postgrad, the balance isn't quite there. And again, that's just the way things have, have happened. When I started at the con, it was very evenly split. But as the years went on, I kind of just became the only one. So it was really nice to have Anne there, especially in the early years, to have someone to look up to and someone who I could see myself and my potential future in. And yeah, so it was yeah, really nice to have, have her to, to talk to. It's really astounded me the more I've learned to see how many, especially contemporary, contemporary Australian even female composers that there are out there who are creating all of this amazing work who you wouldn't know if you didn't look for them, which is such a shame because their work is so phenomenal. I remember going to the first um, She Speaks festival that Anne organized a couple of years ago, and it was quite like an emotional experience for me and I wasn't expecting it to be because there was this whole day and the year after two whole days of music programmed, which was written entirely by women and some of it was receiving like its Australian premiere, its world premiere, and it was ridiculous. This was music that had been composed 10, 50, 100 years ago, which I had never heard of, and people that I'd never heard of who had life stories which were so incredible, and the music was just phenomenal. So that really highlighted to me that we are there. We are there, but we kind of have to seek each other out in a way that I really wasn't expecting. That sounds like a great initiative because as you say there are so many female composers even from the past that 
so many people haven't even heard of Mm. and unfortunately we do have to seek them out. Reaching this level of musicianship requires a number of factors to Mm -hmm. line up. That could be having the financial assistance needed, resources, the education, the connections, the teachers. There are so many things that need to line up in order to get to this point. What factors have played a significant role in you getting here? Yeah, well... I mean, they, they all come into play together. And I would hate to think, you know, whether I'd be in this position if any one of those things was off balance. I, uh, like I said earlier, I do come from a family which values creativity and which in which creating music was a very natural thing for us to do, whether it was by performing or songwriting. That's where I got my kind of creative beginnings was in more like contemporary songwriting stuff. And that was something which has always been, I don't want to say expected, but really encouraged within my family because they value that. They're willing to support me through it. They're willing to provide me with assistance. I go to a university, which is in my hometown. So I'm able to live with my family well, I was able to live with them for as long as I needed to while I was completing my studies. And I know not everyone has been in that position. And I've spoken to you know many people, many composers, young composers through the years who maybe have come from even more financial stability than me, but their family don't understand what they do. So they're less willing to support it. So that's a really interesting thing to consider that I'm very comfortable where I'm living, but there are people who potentially have wealthier families who aren't supported and who feel pressured to not embark on a creative career for that reason. So it's really interesting how all of those things come into play, but when it comes to education in particular, I didn't have much of a formal music education prior to coming to university. My education in school was very rudimentary and it wasn't within a classical discipline either. So the learning curve was very, very steep. I enjoyed it, but it was still a very, very steep learning curve. And I think that if I hadn't had those kind of happenstance experiences of finding out what composition was, that it was possible, that even though I had, you know, a little bit of music education, I never would have considered this an option at all. But again, there are so many people who come from a wonderful music education who perhaps, again, don't have their family's support or who haven't had to really question a lot of whether this is something that they want to do. So there's so many, so many interesting factors which just come into play in that way. I do feel quite lucky to to have had those experiences, even if, you know, my music education left a little bit to be desired. There's always things with that that you can catch up on. In other factors, not so much. So family support for you was a really big one. And I suppose having your uncle as a composer is a connection to that professional world of composition. It it definitely is because he's, you know, very wonderful composer and has given me a lot of insight into what it's like to work as a composer. Because I feel like sometimes that's something that's often overlooked. You can talk about the actual process, but when it's your job, it's very different to being a student. Even just small things about, you know, will I feel this insecure about my music the whole time? Or is there a point where I realize that I'm actually good at my job? There isn't a point with that I've discovered. um, And many established composers, I guess, feel the same way. But it is really nice to have that direct connection and that direct support even though you know he doesn't live in Australia so um, I don't get to see him all the time but it is really really wonderful when we do get to talk because even just getting that little bit of professional validation of 
it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to have some bumps in the road. You know, it's okay to kind of embark upon your own journey. That's been very, very valuable to me. find really incredible that you touched on before is that your music education didn't provide early opportunities for you to see Mm. what the world of composition looked like Mm. and you've made it to national music camp as a composer Um, can you talk a little bit about that transition between your school education in music to where you are now I guess it has been quite a quick transition because you know I've only been out of school I guess six years now and going into first year composition having very little background very little knowledge and like you said you know being able to be here and have these works performed and having the experiences that I've had with other ensembles and other programs as well it's um, it's almost quite baffling to me that it was able to happen because I think it's a very common thing in um, Australian schools at the moment where music isn't always as supported as other subjects. Whether the funding's there or the facilities and infrastructure is there, that can be very changeable, I've found, across across schools. And whether or not music is seen as a serious subject, sometimes it's a bit of a bludge subject, so you can spend two, three years relearning the same content and never really expanding and, and exploring. That was definitely something that I found quite difficult and quite frustrating because I knew that that there was going to be quite a large world of music in um, the classical discipline within any discipline really that wasn't being explored and that I knew I didn't know about. So yeah coming to uni was it was really like my world had opened up there were all these people who had all these different experiences who had all these different favorite composers that I'd never heard of and that you know no one else has ever heard of some you know, Polish composer from the 1920s who only wrote like I don't know bagpipe music there's always one right and then you listen to it and it's amazing and yeah just getting my foot in the door regard in regards to like coming to the con I mean I think it's really important for people who are admitting new students to value potential and to value um, someone's commitment because you know my work really wasn't that great I hadn't been composing for a long time but even looking back now I can see the seeds of something that could be quite good and I'm very grateful that upon my my interview they saw those things as well and kind of took a chance on someone who maybe was a little bit yeah a, a little bit uncertain of how you know I'd perform in this environment but I loved it it was so fun Now, moving on to the next area that I'm interested in chatting to you about, do you think that there are disparities in opportunity for youth getting into music in Australia? Or in other words, how much do you think privilege plays a role in opportunities? I think quite a lot. I've thought about this quite a lot recently as well in reflecting on, you know, my own situation and the situations of others and and seeing how we fared, because I guess At a base level, things like crafts and fine arts, even though they're always created by, you know, working class people, it's a trade, it's a profession, the people paying for it have to be able to afford it, right? So there's this association with it being an upper class thing to do and an upper class thing to be able to enjoy. When in reality, of course, across time, music has always been created by everyone 
Uh, art has always been created by everyone, but there has become an association with it being something of the social elite, which is really difficult because I'm certainly not any social elite, right? In terms of just being aware of it and being exposed to it in the first place can be very difficult because I find a lot of people feel quite nervous about getting into classical music, about feeling whether they're in the right place or whether it's for them. I had quite a musical upbringing, even if it wasn't in a classical discipline. So I was always kind of aware that it was an option and something to be valued. But um, not everyone has that opportunity to even know that it exists. So that in itself is a very great privilege. And then of course, music education playing a massive role in your understanding of, um, of these things and your education is so dependent on the financial situation of your parents, of your geographic location, um, of the wealth of your country, of the wealth that is put into funding these programs. Again, many things which you don't have any control over. And then the whole idea of visibility, seeing yourself within this craft. For a long time I didn't, I didn't really know if I had a place in this industry and I don't have to deal with any issues of racism, which often comes into play with a lot of people. And I found that the compound cumulative stress of a lot of those factors, environmental factors, financial, family support, anything, um, anything else, can play a really big role in the way that you view yourself as an artist and whether you view yourself as being someone who deserves to be there in the first place. If you don't see yourself um, represented in you know, the uh, people who we see as composers, then it's really difficult to even just imagine yourself as one. Yeah, and I, th I think when it comes to those things, um, the fact that I do have people around me who support me, who are willing to kind of take a chance on what I do, that's a massive privilege. Of course, there are other set, um, parts that left a little bit to be desired, but I've always felt like I'm in quite a decent position but I know that a lot of other people haven't been so lucky in that and maybe some other people have been luckier as well but in carving my own path in this I am you know very very grateful for those for those opportunities and those comparative privileges that I've had it would be nice if you know those things didn't matter as much but they really really do even if it's just like I said, seeing yourself, as, seeing that as a possibility for yourself. I find that a lot of people who are underrepresented in this industry, whether they're, you know, not men or not white or not financially <laughs> yeah. um, supported, yeah. they, um, there's this question of, is this something that I can do in the first place? Shall I even try because I don't have the historical support and the historical visibility here? I know it's going to be really hard and is that stress that you want to put on yourself? In my case it was because again I do have the support but for a lot of other people they may find that the stress of doing that and the stress of fighting for that visibility and fighting to put yourself on equal footing with people who have maybe not quite had it as rough can be very stressful. Maybe that isn't something that you're physically capable of doing. The visibility is really really important and um, giving equitable opportunities, being conscious of the different cultural, socioeconomic uh, backgrounds that people come from is only really going to help in diversifying um, the expression of music in our contemporary society because you know, there there's infinite 
um, human experiences. And as art is a reflection of that experience, I think that it should be reflected in the people who are creating it as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very interesting topic to, to reflect on. And I just hope that we can keep getting better at providing those opportunities um, to everyone who may need a little bit of extra help. That was beautifully put there, what you said about music being for everyone and mm. everyone has their own human experience and that's what adds to the music that we listen to, yeah. right? What we consume. And you touched on the issue of being a woman in composition, woman in music, just generally, yes. and racism as well. It is a topic that we don't discuss enough as musicians. Yeah, it's a very difficult conversation to have because we don't like to be aware of it. If we talk about it, it means that we have to acknowledge that there is a problem or we don't like to consider ourselves to be part of a problem. But that's a very neutral thing. You know, there is a problem and that's okay as long as we work to to fix it. I think a lot of people may not feel comfortable navigating these discussions as well but I think the important thing is that we really try and acknowledge that um, and the acknowledgement's a really important thing. There's been a lot of initiatives I've seen in recent years, you know, um, scholarships to support women and non-white composers and people from disadvantaged backgrounds to kind of help them be supported in the beginnings of their career as musicians, which is which is really wonderful and I think all of those things should should continue as much as they can so that the music that we create, like I said, is reflective of the people that we're playing it to. It's very difficult um, to relate to a to the broad majority of music when it's all coming from a very similar perspective. And having a wealth of perspectives is so wonderful and it's so exciting to me to discover all of these new people who have had different experiences which are reflected in their work. Um, and yeah, I think all of those things are very, very valuable and we should all try and value those things as much as we can. When you look at an orchestra today, maybe it's a professional state orchestra or you know the AYO mm. orchestra do you think that Australia is accurately represented? That can be very difficult to quantify <laughs> yes. because elements of representation aren't always visible. In terms of visible things that we can see I think they've done a pretty damn good job and I'm feeling quite optimistic you know about the future of our classical music performers. It's so wonderful to see all these young people from such diverse backgrounds come together and share in this appreciation for creating art, essentially. Do you consider yourself privileged? And what does privilege mean yeah. to you? It's a very difficult thing to kind of score on a scale of like one to 10, how privileged are you? Because it's so situational and it's so changeable. In um, one situation, say if I'm in a project where I just happen to be the only woman in the room, which has happened and you just have to deal with that and you may be spoken over, so I don't feel very advantaged in that situation, you know? But that is so dependent on the situation you're in and something that may feel like a disadvantage in one space may not be a disadvantage in another space. And I do consider what I do just in general to be a privilege. It is a privilege to work with the people I'm working with and create the music that I create. And if any number of things had gone differently in my life, I would not be here. So when it comes to that, I do feel very lucky and I do feel very privileged. And I don't really ever want to lose sight of that either, because even though I perhaps may not have had the smoothest road 
getting here and I won't always have the smoothest career, taking a step back and being able to appreciate those opportunities that you have had and the support that you have from the people around you or just from your situation in general can be really important in reminding yourself of you know, not everyone gets to do this. And we were both very lucky to get our foot in the door and, and be in the room. I consider myself to be very lucky. So I'm a composer currently based in Melbourne, but I was originally from... Queensland. So before coming here, I think mostly studied sound production and that was my focus. Um, I did write for ensembles, but more in an informal way. There's a famous quote that I think applies to music in a lot of ways. You can't be what you can't see. How applicable was this to you? That's a very good quote. Um, actually, that speaks to me to the core. Since I was young, I've always you know, wanted to compose and improvise music. I didn't necessarily have the word for it. And I knew back then I couldn't be a composer. Obviously, I wasn't correct. I just didn't have the representation of uh, not just women composers, but Asian women composers within Australia, especially in Queensland. Uh, it wasn't until later on that I realised there was a lack of representation. So even though it was a bit of a um, difficult difficulty to kind of change career halfway through, I knew that that was what I had to do, not only for myself to pursue composing as a craft, but also to have more representation in the industry for the next generation. So how important to you was visibility? Moving forward, I think, I think it's just so, so important. And in recent years, I had a quite significant injury that led to me becoming quite permanently disabled. I would say that I'm a part-time user of mobility aids. So in a way, it's an invisible disability. If I'm walking around, you, you probably wouldn't guess that I you know, have something or have access needs. It has been quite a bit of a challenge having that very, very clear before and after. It's also made me think about how easy it was for me before being a composer and sound engineer in the industry and how I have experienced a lot of challenges moving forward. So for me, I realised visibility is absolutely very important because that's something that I didn't really think about to this extent until it affected my life. And in terms of having an invisible disability, what sort of challenges has that presented to you? An invisible disability really manifests in many ways from uh, you know, the way that impacts you physically, but also mentally. So for one, you, know, you have to really manage your energy levels. Um, something as simple as you know, walking to campus, it's something that people don't think about, how long you can sit for, when you should write. Um, instead of sitting at the computer and piano and writing for hours, a lot of the time these days I compose in my head. I might actually be sitting outside by the beach or the forest and really thinking more about my pieces. Sometimes I'm even just in bed listening to music. So, you know, I have to kind of adjust the ways that I actually work to fit my current stamina. And these are the things that people don't think about, do they? Or is that your experience, that people don't consider 
how people with invisible and visible disabilities have to overcome obstacles like this. Yes, absolutely. The one thing I've noticed with you know, my before and after an application is before I would see an opportunity and I would say, yes, I want to do it and I would apply. These days, before I even hit open application, I have to think about, can I physically do this program? And I guess moving forward, it will be so much better if there was just like a, a um, you know, just an excerpt on the website or something or a box that says, you, if you have accessibility needs, let us know. It just makes that process so much easier. Have you found that the majority of projects that you've been involved in haven't had that as an option? No, it's always been, I think, down to the participants to come forward. That means that there's quite a bit of change that needs to happen in that area. And again, that's where people need to be more educated on the issue. And this is exactly why we need to talk about things like this. What sorts of factors have played a significant role in you getting to this point? That's a good question. I've, I've always wanted to do Australian Youth Orchestra, especially once I finished my studies at a Melbourne Conservatorium of Music. Um, obviously, I had that um, event happen in my life, which kind of changed the, the way that I got to AYO. And to be very frank, a couple of years ago, I was very, very certain I wouldn't be sitting here today. I was like, AYO is absolutely off the table. I had a lot of uh, medical support. Um, I do have a bit of financial support for my disability. But what's been the most encouraging, I think, is are my mentors, my composition mentors, um, and how supportive they have been welcoming me back to studying my master's, understanding my situation, and offering me opportunities like writing for Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, even though they knew about my condition. So that made me realise that this is all very possible if you have the right support and the right team. So when I came to AYO, even before arriving, I let all the admins know about my situation. And they have been so, so supportive. I don't think I would have gotten through the program without all of those accommodations. It still was a challenge, but as one of the staff have said to me, it has been very helpful that I was upfront and it allows for them to take action. How much do you think privilege plays a role in opportunities in Australia for young musicians? It, it's interesting. It's a bit of like a chicken and egg thing, you know, is do you have the privilege um, first to be able to have access to lessons and the opportunity to learn music? Or are you, you know, kind of discovered because of your talent and then you have the privilege to learn about music? I do think in Australia it's a bit of a, it's quite mixed. Um, where I was from in Queensland, music education um, is free. So I was able to have access to studying in a woodwind instrument. Um, I played in a symphony orchestra, a woodwind band. Um, you know, I just studied music throughout my whole schooling education and that was free apart from the instruments. But then when I came to Victoria, um, and I'm not saying that Victoria's musical standard isn't very, very high because it is, but you don't have access to high standard of music education as some of the other private schools. So then, you know, that's when you really look at, okay, well, is there a bit of a disparity there? And are students who, you know, from disadvantaged backgrounds unable to access the same level of education with music, even though music have been proven to improve your um, 
mental health, your executive function, and your overall well-being. Isn't it incredible how we're in the same country, yet different states value music education so differently? You've experienced both sides, coming from Queensland and now living in Victoria. So in terms of institutional changes or changes just in broader Australia, who do you think is responsible to take action? That's actually a very good question. The responsibility these days, they, they seem to be down to the musicians, the performers and the composers themselves. But in my opinion, it really should be a top-down chain. You know, it should be reviewed in a way of how can we change, the, change this systemically through policies? Um, can we actually include more awareness across organisations, can organisations actually receive more education on accessibility and diversity and equity. But at the moment, I do find that a lot of performers and composers, and even the, the composers I talk to, they have to be the ones to come forward. And sometimes you might not want to come forward because it is such a huge taboo in the music industry, or it can feel like it's a huge taboo to feel like you're not at the top of your game. You might have an injury that might prevent you from performing. But what I found is that most of the time, the performers who I speak to and the you know, university faculty members I speak to are very understanding because they're humans too. And I think it's, this is why I, I want to talk more about this because you know, I'm going through this process, I'm being open about it, and I think it is important that we support you know, more people in the future generation who wants to be or who are pursuing professional music as a career. Because at the moment, I think it's really down to the, the musicians and the composers and you know, the participants to come forward themselves to, um, to let the organisations know. But if there's a way for organisations to perhaps have more education about accessibility needs or have procedures they can put in place to make people know that it's okay. It will instill a lot of confidence in young musicians. As you said earlier, we're all human. We need to talk about these issues because no doubt there are so many people in your position who haven't spoken up because it is a difficult conversation to have, but the more people like you who come forward and talk about it, the better, right? Do you consider yourself to be privileged and what does privilege mean to you? Yes, I think privilege is very, very multifaceted. In a way, we are all privileged. Even though, you know, I may say I have an invisible disability, in a way, I'm very privileged in other ways. I'm always keeping check of how I am privileged, how I am getting support. And perhaps, you know, even having the opportunity to sit here today to talk about it is a privilege. It makes me think about what I can do moving forward. You know, for me, I'm keeping check of all of this and in the future, I'm in the hopes of, hope I can contribute to future organisations and future younger composers and help with um, educating them and allowing them to have access and pathways um, to these opportunities that I have. I think it's very important that we all 
you know, keep in mind what our privileges are. Let's hope these sorts of questions continue into the future. Thank you for tuning in. Mm-hmm.